0: ladies and gentlemen and welcome to our freshman foray into podcasting here at the film club podcast i'm your host dean uh every week i bring my pretentious art house view of cinema to this little show as we have miss boo becky here where she brings her lovely blockbusters to try and i guess even me out why don't you introduce yourself miss boo
1: Hello, I'm Becky, and yes, I bring my blockbusters every week, and I try to sit through Dean's art house films and not rip my hair out.
0: It's uh, it's working out pretty well so far.
1: That's pretty good so far. We'll see. I'll give it a couple more episodes.
0: Yeah, and this lovely um, first episode we have here is gonna start off with one of Becky's blockbusters. We are coming at you with Scream, Wes Craven's 1996. Would you call this one of his? his best movie or his opus masterpiece kind of thing? I think
1: it's one of, you know, his best movies and, you know, I think it seems fitting with the first episode considering it's October 1st, which means everybody, happy Halloween. We made it. 2020 tried to break us, but we got to Halloween. We did it.
0: I mean, it's not actually Halloween. Yeah.
1: The whole month of October is Halloween. I'm sorry.
0: Sure, sure. It is. Whatever. Just
1: roll with it. You gotta accept it. Okay. Let it into your heart.
0: If, if anybody doesn't know, she's so been celebrating Halloween since June, so...
1: I've been celebrating Halloween since last Halloween.
0: Yeah, it's it's rough. So... You poor thing. I know. So, Wes Craven's kind of an interesting director. We'll, we'll talk about the movie in a minute, but let's talk about kind of what led up to, to the mm-hmm. film. So, Wes Craven's kind of an interesting director, because he started out basically make, like, making horror films. One of his first movies was House Unhaunted Haunted... Or, not House on Haunted Hill. The Hills Have Eyes.
1: Yeah, good movie.
0: Very good movie. Last House on the Left, uh Nightmare on Elm Street, which is probably what he's best known for. Definitely. Uh he did People Under the Stairs mm-hmm. and, you know, he made Scream. Yes. He has he has a lot of pedigree in the horror genre. And Scream's kind of interesting because it's I when I say satire, it satire doesn't mean comedy always. It just mm-hmm. means that it's understands the tropes of what it's kind of poking fun at. And, and there is comedy
1: throughout it. the movie too, as well.
0: Well, yeah, but I mean, this—you wouldn't qualify this as a comedy. No, film. no, it's not a laugh riot. Most of the comedy comes from Matthew Lillard being ridiculous, and then a comedic him. genius. Comedic <laughs> genius. The man deserves all the Oscars. He does. So, Ultra Instinct Shaggy is in this film, if you didn't know. And then we have Jamie Kennedy, who's also, I guess, a point of comedy in the film. But that's about it.
1: And Mr. Malibu's Most Wanted.
0: That too. That movie is the Citizen Kane of our of our generation.
1: It is. I still, you know, covet my ticket stub from Aldous most One*. I can't
0: believe you saw that in theaters. I did. Ah, twice. Yikes. You're uh, stuck with me. Sorry. I love you too. So, *Scream*. When this movie came out in 96, the slasher genre had basically disappeared. It, it was not as big as it once was. I don't no. think there was any slashes in theaters anymore.
1: No, I've been kind of quiet.
0: Friday the 13th had gone direct-to-video at that mm-hmm. point. Uh, Narmer on Elm Street, I believe it was the same thing. And I know Halloween, that series, I don't think they even released a film in the 90s until Halloween H20.
1: Yeah, that was after Scream had come out.
0: Yeah. So, with that in mind, Scream comes out at a time, in 96, when the slasher genre had essentially disappeared. And what it does for the film and, you know, the film mm, genre of horror and slasher films... Mm-hmm. It kind of changed the game, as it were, because the Slashers were so dead, so done, that when this came out, it was smart, had a good mystery, had a good, uh, had really good characters, and the story and the plot were, was very tight, and it worked really well.
1: It also brought back, you know, people that love these kind of movies, that crave, you know. You know, not just you know the gore and the violence and the you know being scared, but also the they love um, the psychological part of these movies. That you know you're constantly thinking, you're constantly wondering. You know, is that character over there the murderer? You know, is the main character the murderer? You're constantly on the go. You're with these characters throughout the whole movie, trying to figure out who's the killer.
0: Yeah, it, it's really interesting because this kind of slasher film really leans into the whodunit aspect, mm-hmm. which I think, which let's be real, had been lost on slasher movies since like the the late 80s. Yeah. Or actually since like, I guess you would say like the entirety of the 1980s because that's when you got Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, and Halloween. The, the trinity of slashers. Where it's one unstoppable killer chasing after all these, you know, young adult teenagers and just murdering them in droves. And this kind of changed it up. The killer was far more human, there was an actual, like, there were stakes at hand, mm-hmm. and, you know, the characters, you cared about them, for for the most part.
1: Also, the sequels, they mostly focused on body count. It wasn't even about, you know, plot, it was just, how many more people can we kill per movie, and make it, you know, that much more extreme, and, you know, oh, this one's gonna blow up, their head's gonna, you know, come flying off.
0: Well, you know, this is kind of what, how that works. But, yeah. I, I do understand, because we do have the issue that, um, because the Scream sequels, they're not nearly as good as the first one, and oh, that no. stems from the fact of, you know, Scream is a satire. Right. And the joke gets old the more you tell it, mm-hmm. which I'm very guilty of, because I tell the same jokes all the time.
1: All the time.
0: Yes, I know. It's it's one of my sad habits. But let's stop building up the movie and talk about it a little bit. So, Scream. 96. You're at home. You're making popcorn. It's really quiet. You are now Drew Barrymore. You're, where, you're in a, some short... You know, Blonde Bob wearing a nasty wool sweater. And then oh, a phone it's cold rings. Out there. It is cold out there. The phone rings. And who is on the other line? Stranger. A stranger has called and asks Sidney Prescott, what's your favorite scary movie? This um, opening scene... I think
1: you're jumping ahead, because Drew Barrymore is Casey Becker, not Sidney Prescott.
0: Oh, Sidney Prescott, Casey... They're... Oh, come on, who cares? They're... Names are irrelevant. It's all about the character. But yeah, so... Casey Beckert is Drew Barrymore and the voice on the other end asks what's your favorite scary movie and this is this opening scene of Scream is probably the best scene in the movie at least in my opinion
1: well you're also jumping ahead too you know he starts off with you know he called the wrong number and he kind of keeps her on the line and you know it, it gets a little flirtatious and he's asking you know are you home alone and she's like oh you know my, my boyfriend's coming over and then it starts to take a a nasty turn. He starts to get a little gruff with her, and, you know, the, the music starts to build up, and you just feel that kind of sense of dread. And you see a little bit more of the house. You see all those exposed windows, and you kind of feel like you're her in the house, and who's watching me outside?
0: Yeah, we get... It is a good sense of not feeling safe. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really interesting part about this scene. You... <sighs> Drew Barrymore, at certain stages, it goes from very safe to incredibly unsafe and the tension that arises from that is very good Mm -hmm. because i think this scene works really well and that's kind of why i say it's the best scene in the movie oh yeah because this is the first and i i want to say it's the only scene where we have stakes we have tension we have build-up and we have payoff and it all works out, and it's all masterfully done with the work of the camera, with the work of the performances.
1: And we also have, you know, a top tier celebrity who's portraying this, you know, opening character.
0: Oh yes, um, I mean Drew Barrymore at the time was, you know, a list actress. I mm-hmm. believe she was definitely she was definitely a very very big name for this, and she had never done a horror film before, mm-hmm. Well, except Firestarter. But she was like she was twelve or something. When she she did was really that. small. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, small. She's this tall. I don't think and Drew Barry, even Drew Barrymore as a kid, was famous.
1: Oh, definitely. But I mean, this is kind of you know, her as an adult and doing you know a really serious kind of role. And even though ET, still, you know, it breaks my heart every time I watch it.
0: Well, you're just terrified of of ET.
1: I still love him. He could scare me and love me. It's okay.
0: Okay, but yeah. But here's the thing with um with this because it does the same thing as Psycho does, mm-hmm. where it establishes because generally in film the first person you see is your main character mm-hmm. and or maybe not like the exact first person you see but you usually see the first somebody in the opening scene and that's like okay this is who we're gonna follow this is our main character and you attach on to them mm-hmm. and like in psycho with marion crane yes which i believe this is pays homage to that very yes. much so where we establish okay this is the first person we see this is who the audience is attaching on to And they're going to be like, okay, we want to see them live. We want to see them succeed. And then they die in the opening scene. Or, well, in Psycho, she dies, you know, 20, 30 minutes into the movie. She's, like, basically killed in the first act.
1: Right, but you don't expect her to die.
0: You don't expect her to die, yeah. It's the good bait and switch. And that's what Scream does. and It does it masterfully here because as the scene goes on, drew barrymore she's on the phone then the killer starts quizzing her because if she gets a single question wrong she's going the first they're going to kill her boyfriend who is tied up by the pool outside yeah he's
1: out in the backyard tied up by the pool
0: yeah and if she gets a one wrong after that they're going to kill her yeah she gets she gets one wrong they kill her boyfriend she gets another one wrong and then they go in to kill her yeah they break into the house they're running around she gets outside she thinks she's lost them she sees a car coming up in the distance. It's her parents. She's like, oh, I'm going to be safe. And then that's when the killer sees her. She runs off. And we get, I'd say probably one of the most gruesome kills in the movie.
1: Oh, yeah. It's it's horrific. You know, she takes the the first wound is to the heart. Just stabs her in the heart. They knock her to the ground. You know, her parents are coming down the driveway And that's when he starts to strangle her so that she can't scream out for her parents. And, you know, there's smoke coming out of the house from the popcorn from the Jiffy Pop that was left cooking on the stove. Uh And her parents run into the house and they're looking for her. And meanwhile, uh, Casey Becker still has the phone clutched in her hand. So her mom picks up the phone while, you know, her dad's running around the house looking for her. And her mother hears, you know, her last breaths on the phone as, you know, the killers are dragging her to ultimately, where her parents will find her, you know, tied in a tree, which is pretty gruesome and horrific.
0: Yeah, and it, it's really a good payoff to the scene, and I really, and that opening scene, I will tell you this now, is the best scene, or the best kill of the movie, mm-hmm. and everything after that is just trying to live up to that opening. Like, the opening works great as, like, a short film. But then after that, we uh, finally get introduced to our real main character, Cindy Prescott, played by Nev Campbell. Correct. Basic, all-American girl kind of type.
1: Yeah, girl next door. You know, she's sitting at her computer, so you're thinking, oh, okay, you know, maybe she's at home doing homework, you know. It was the 90s, so computers aren't really what they are now. <laughs> it's,
0: it's very weird. Yeah. very weird to see a 1996 computer and be like, man, I I owned one of those before. And thinking I was, that was like, And
1: thinking that was top of the line back then. Like, man, have you seen my 500-pound computer? It's really nice. Really choice. Really
0: good. And I remember throwing my back out, carrying a computer up the stairs. Oh, yeah. So, as, as it goes, she's in her room, and then suddenly she gets uh, the most Dawson Creek kind of uh, love interest thing going on, where her boyfriend, Billy... Pops in through the window, spooks her, but you know they're all lovey-dovey Dawson's Creek stuff going on.
1: I mean, you do love the Vanderbeek.
0: You know that that man's a an idol. So we meet Billy, her boyfriend, played by Skeet
1: By Skeet Ulrich, yes. Yes.
0: See, I'm I'm doing good. I remember people's names. And this scene is both like, oh, it's really nice. Their boyfriend girlfriend, but he is creepy as sin.
1: He's got the crazy eyes.
0: He's got crazy eyes, and that's probably why they casted um, Skeet Ulrich. No, don't don't get me wrong. He's a he's an attractive, you know, young man. Mm-hmm. But ladies out there, if go watch this movie. If somebody came into your room and was like, "Hey, baby, I just wanted you to know, I was thinking about you. I was sitting at home. I saw The Exorcist, and it started making me think. You know, what happened to us? You know, we used to be all hot and heavy, and now we're just kind of cooling off. And when your boyfriend starts getting sex thoughts after watching The Exorcist, just leave.
1: Yeah, ladies, it's not if, worth. if your man tells you that, just run. You know. Don't second guess it. Just run.
0: So your first instinct is probably the correct one. If mm-hmm. somebody gets turned on watching The Exorcist, they're the creep. Yeah. So.
1: Although as... I love Skeet Ulrich, love him in Scream, love him in Riverdale, great actor.
0: And now, as it goes on, they're talking back and forth. She's not giving up the goods. He's feels kind of bad about it, but respects the boundaries. Her dad. Almost catches the both of them. Almost. Almost, he says, "All right, I'm going off uh, on a business trip. You're not going to see me for the rest of the movie because that's what adults do. <laughs> Pretty they try much, and yeah. get out of the out of the movie before the killer shows up as hard as possible." So they go on. Her dad leaves town, supposedly. Billy leaves the room, and then Kate, Kate State, mm, Cindy, Cindy. Sydney, I can remember yes. name. Cindy's all alone in the house. And then after that.
1: We transition to meeting the rest of the gang at school.
0: Oh, yes, the Scooby Doo gang, our cast of characters and victims. Which is weird because I think only one of them gets murdered, which is weird. Well, okay. Well, Well, three of them, but one of them, like, really is. And two
1: of them survive.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. This is the most. This looks like Canadian friends, the scene. Where they're all sitting around by the fountain. But, and they're all like there in their cool, you know, like, oh, mid 90s, like, like clothes and stuff. There's cargo pants.
1: But there's no couch, like, in, you know, actual
0: friends. Well, yeah, this is why it's Canadian friends. It's off brand friends.
1: I'd still probably watch Canadian
0: friends. Of course you would watch Canadian friends.
1: It's, it's a good time, eh?
0: What's, oh, oh, what's wrong with you? So, they're there, they're talking about the night before, and, you know, oh. Somebody killed uh, Drew Barrymore. This is so weird. And everyone comes off weird as shit. Sydney says, I can't believe somebody could do that. How do you even gut a person like that? Yeah. And Stu obligingly answers, Oh, it's not that hard. You got a nice knife. You just cut them, you know, you know chest to groin, you know, just groin go to chest. groin to chest. Yeah, groin to chest. Semantics. Yeah. Groin to chest. And you just rip them open. And then Billy is like, Dude, shut the fuck up. And Randy is over there being like, Oh, it's fine, you just get desensitized to the violence after the after a while. And I'm just like, okay. All y'all probably are fucking in on it, okay? All well, y'all are probably Well, in on I it.
1: mean if Matthew Lillard, you know, who plays Stu Mocker in the movie, if it had been someone else apart from him that it said, you know, yeah, well you cut, you know, from the, the groin to the sternum, anyone would be like, Yep, that's the killer right there, but he's such a goofball in this movie, you'd never think that he's a killer. He's just so goofy and all over the place. It's kind of like, yeah. oh, okay, awkward, you know, maybe not the, the right time to say that, but...
0: I don't eh. know, because, okay, so there's there's something that has to be said about this movie. So I don't think I'm going to ruin anybody's spoilers on this movie, because the movie came out 24 years ago.
1: But still, spoiler alert, in case you haven't seen it.
0: Uh, yeah, you should probably see it, because it probably airs on TBS every, every Halloween. Yeah, this movie's probably been cut for TV. So
1: it has i watch it on tv i I know you do
0: so Stu and billy we will discover at the end of the movie they're in on in on the joke they're they're the killers yes and Stu, throughout the entire film this is probably the only one of the only few times he's actually interacting with sydney yeah and billy he interacts with sydney a few more times and billy comes off as just generally creepy Mm -hmm. if that's just how he acts how he you know presents himself he just comes off as you know kind of creepy yeah but he doesn't come off as malicious no which is probably why most people don't catch that he did it then there's a few things that happen in the movie where oh he couldn't have done it because of x y and z but Stu, on the other hand every time he's on screen he acts he's goofy he's funny whatever but he, he acts like a fucking crazy person. He does. He he is so obviously, like, the killer. Mm-hmm. Uber obvious. He, when he's talking to Randy in the video store, he's like... He is acting like a crazy person. He's talking about some shit. When he is with... Oh God, what's his girlfriend's name? The one played by... Tatum. Tatum. When he's with Tatum, she she's even, like bruh, like, you're you're talking a little out of turn about some dead people. You might want to calm the fuck down.
1: Yeah, he gets a little too excited about talking about these two murders. Yeah, and
0: then you have him in this scene, and this is probably the biggest scene where you're just like, okay, there's something wrong with you, which sucks because it's like the third scene in the movie yeah. where, bro, okay, talking about cutting somebody from gut to stern and you seem giddy and, and kind of happy and excited, and excited to talk yeah. about it. And it's really weird, and I can't see how people don't just peg Stu as the killer, which is something you probably, if you're ever in a whodunit, the the killer's probably somebody you met in the first 20 minutes of the movie, because, let, let's be honest here, only bad movies will say the killer's somebody you've never met before, because they just didn't want to come up with a good mystery hashtag i know what you did last summer shots yeah. fired yeah across the starboard <laughs> bout you can hear about me complain about that on my other podcast double feature podcast go there give me money so
1: wow i know
0: shameless plug so it, this scene is just interesting because it also gives us dynamics mm-hmm. of who is going with what and who's positioned where in the horror movie trope right i yeah. guess because that's what this movie does a lot it plays into a lot of the tropes of horror films and gives into, okay, This is these are the characters we're working with. They're stock, but we're giving them character. They're not stock and paper thin like you have in a, a Friday the 13th movie and, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and so on and so forth.
1: Right, you get to know these characters.
0: Now, let's talk about the, the characters and where their tropes fall because this is kind of where you're going to get them. So we have uh, Stacy. No, Sydney. 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 I'm going to get them messed up the entire time. We have Sydney, and she's girl next door, obvious survivor girl. Yes. Where she's, she's you know, very uh, reserved, quite smart, but not bitchy. She's, she's survivor girl.
1: Yeah, she's gonna make it.
0: We have Tatum, who we don't really get a look at if she's the promiscuous one, but she is definitely dressing and acting like she is the the typical, like, whore like character. She, she's the loose girl that gets killed in all these movies. Yeah. Sydney even says, yeah, the big breasted girl is running up the stairs when she'll be running out the front door. Tatum is the big breasted girl that gets killed by the killer.
1: And that is one of my favorite lines in the movie. I mean, Wes Craven, you know, pegged that line beautifully with that scene, you know, just, you know. Well, We'll get to that scene when we get to that scene.
0: So, yeah, we do have the thing where she's playing the, the, the horror character because it's the version of horror complex that's in a lot of these movies. It's weird that that horror movies are very into these, like, traditional, like... Stereotypes. Stereotypes and traditional, like, uber-conservative Christian values. You know, no sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and you'll survive the movie. Yeah. And then we have Randy, who's the nerd character archetype. He's just, instead of being a um, comic book nerd or, like, the special effects nerd that you have in, like, every Friday the 13th movie. Yeah. He's the horror movie nerd. And he's really into horror movies. And he's the voice of... The audience member who, like me, watched too many horror movies as a kid.
1: Well, yeah, he's the voice of reason, kind of guiding the story along and, you know, getting the characters to try to survive through the movie and telling them you need to do X, Y, and Z to get through this. And, you know, being high school students, they're not going to listen to the rules.
0: Exactly. Then we have Stu, and Stu's supposed to be, I guess, the comic relief goofball Mm -hmm. figure, and Billy's supposed to be... The boyfriend jock character, mysterious
1: he's, kind of guy. He's
0: not. He's not really like that's weird because a lot of these horror movies have the jock character. Mm-hmm. There, it's like, oh, you're in, you're on the football team, or oh, you're the athletic one, or whatever. And I get, and Billy just kind of falls into that role because everyone else has a defined role, right? But we never see Billy in like a Letterman's jacket nope. or anything like that. He's like athletically built. Don't get me wrong, but he doesn't. He he falls into that trope because that's the last trope left, but I guess he could also have the trope of just being, oh, I'm the main character's boyfriend, and I'm the supportive boyfriend role kind of thing, which isn't a lot of these, like, I guess they're in a lot of the horror movie films, and, you know, you get, you get some mileage out of that.
1: And he's got that mystery, too, because you don't really see him interacting, like, with Tatum, Uh, you see him interact a little bit with Randy, but it's mostly just him and Stu,
0: yeah, it's him, Stu, and Sydney. Well, yeah. him and Sydney are the only. They interact a lot in the movie. Mm-hmm. And him and Stu, I don't know how much they actually. How much one on. We don't have a scene with the two of them together because this movie follows Sydney throughout. Yeah. It, it is interesting when you think about it. It's. Because we're only following Sydney, the only people she interacts with consistently is Tatum and Gail and Dewey, really. Mm hmm. Which. On that note, let's talk about Gail and Dewey because yeah. I think they come up in the next scene. They do. So, next scene, we are introduced to Gail Weathers, reporter on the go. A real Tatum O'Neill, as it were, right? Maybe? Whatever. Tatum O'Neill. I don't know. Uh, what's what's the name of the girl in in um, in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? The one in the yellow jumpsuit that, oh. that launched a thousand ships and sunk a thousand seas?
1: I don't remember her name. April but... O'Neill. There you April go. April
0: O'Neill. Yeah, she is the April O'Neill girl on the spot. She's a tabloid reporter, and she is there to report on this murder going on in Woodsboro.
1: Or Gail Weather's our favorite friend, Courtney Cox. Yes,
0: Courtney Cox. Talking about Canadian friends, we have a real one here.
1: Love friends.
0: We get it, We get it. You're into bad television.
1: Wow. You're really gonna throw friends down the down the stairs like that, I see. Yes, yeah, I'll so throw them
0: under the bus too when they land. Wow. So, and, so violent. And she is compared and she is paired up with the only other adult character in this film with more than five lines and that's uh Dewey, Dewey Riley. played by David Arquette the WCW uh, heavyweight champion you know great great pro wrestler he was Not also really. on Friends too yeah he was also on Friends you know
1: and he also plays Tatum's brother in the movie
0: yep yeah. so it's really interesting because these are the only two like adult figures we see in the movie that Actually, have character. We do have the the cameraman. We do have the sheriff. We do have a the principal. The principal. We do have Tams mom. But they don't. They're not characters. They're just kind of.
1: They're kind of just there. there.
0: They're 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 props. Yeah. They're props to establish that this town isn't just populated by fifteen year olds and sixteen year olds. So, we meet them. Dewey takes a shine to Gale. Gale kind of takes a shine to Dewey. And we have the hints that oh, they're going to be the item in the film, but. Right. Everybody who's seen a horror movie, the only thing going through your head is, okay, so they're both going to be dead by the end of the movie, probably around, you know, act three when we get the whole everybody's dying left and right thing, but...
1: Well, I mean, Gail doesn't even really take a shine to him in the beginning. It's more, you know, for her to get information, you know, for her studio, you know, for, Mm -hmm. for her segment on the news, you know, and... You know, this is so important to Gail because she wrote a book about Sydney's mother's death, which takes place not in this movie, but it's brought up a couple of times throughout the storyline.
0: And it is kind of interesting because that's kind of the precipice. And it's... You know how in a lot... I guess this also goes into the tropes of slasher movies, right? We're going to the camp this summer, but I have a story to tell you. You know, a few years ago, there was a kid who drowned in the lake, or... Hey, did you hear about that weird child killer that was murdered by all the parents on Elm Street last year? Or, guys, guys, like, ten years ago, there was this kid brutally murdered his sister in the house. And I think this, the whole thing with, um, Sydney's mom dying, that's that part of the story. It's like, hey, guys, did you hear about the brutal rape and murder of friend's mom? Yeah. You guys hear about that? The anniversary's coming up. I wonder what could happen. Woo! Cause like that's literally what that is, and that, I think that's a thing where we're gonna we're gonna see a lot of tropes in this movie that show up, and it's, some of them are really subtle, cause like that where they it comes up, but it's you know a point of the movie that you can almost forget about, right? But it's still there, and when you think about it, this movie is full of. Tropes and gags and shtick that every slasher that's come before it has done has done attempted and tried. But the thing with Screen that I think it works is that it's very naturalistic. It's done very well, and the characters don't play it as a joke. Because that's a thing. Because this film, when it was um shopped around when it was the original script, most directors who saw it thought it was a comedy. Mm-hmm. because oh it's a satire of horror films they're reading some of the dialogue they're reading how the scenes play out and no, every director thought well it's a comedy but the jokes aren't really landing Yeah. so eh I don't think I'll take it what Craven saw is like oh this is an old school satire like like a political satire kind of became where oh it's a satire but it's not a comedy it's just poking fun at a genre people loved enough to figure out how they work and that thing where Stacy's mom died is just another example Sydney. of or Sydney again. Stacy, Sydney, same goddamn name. They, they, it's they, not though, but whatever. Where they get interacted and okay, that's that's a, neither here nor there. But that's kind of the point where this film keeps going back where it's like, oh, this is like this, and this is like that, and this is what we're doing with it.
1: Yeah, her mother's death is kind of like the domino effect of. Why these murders are happening. And we're kind of like going back in, you know, reverse and trying to figure out why she was murdered. You know, more or less, who was she? Because we never meet her. We never see any, you know, kind of like throwback scenes to, you know, Sydney and her mom and a regular life. We're just kind of trying to figure out what happened. How did we end up here?
0: And that's a whole other can of worms. Because Mm -hmm. the only way we know anything about her is from one of the sequels. And the sequels get pretty bad let's be honest but i digress we move on after that scene i think that's when we finally get sydney alone in the house where she interacts with the killer for the first time Mm -hmm. then generally this is you know the shot across the bow where the the survivor girl meets the killer for the first time and it's just to freak him out and let him know things are up
1: Well, this is also Survivor Girl's first phone call from the killer, too.
0: This is the first time, yeah, this is the first time she interacts with That's probably the shot where it's, this is the first time they interact, she's completely safe because we got a whole other hour and some change left, but Mm -hmm. this is where they interact. They interact, on the phone, this is where we get uh, Miss Boo's favorite line.
1: You say it so much better. Of
0: course I say it so much better. It's like, I don't like horror movies, you know. It's all about, you know, the killer chasing these big-breasted bimbos when they're running up the stairs, when they should be running out of the front door. It's insulting.
1: And then you cue, you know, the front door being kicked in, and Sydney has no choice but to run up the stairs. She it's run- just comedy gold.
0: Runs up the stairs, slams the door, manages to wedge the door shut. She's calling the cops. The killer's trying to get in. Then, oh... He disappears. Well, I mean,
1: she can't even call the cops. She's got to type it out on her computer. Oh, and it's God, just like, the 90s. Can you imagine, you know, trying to hook up to the internet and give this signal? This is dial-up.
0: That killer probably just has the phone off the hook. Mm-hmm. And boom, done. You're dead.
1: I mean, imagine if the killer got in and you're dying and you're hearing the dial tone.
0: Oh, Ugh. God, my life. You just hear the sound of a fax machine having Ugh. sex with a blender. You guys do not know the pain of dial-up. It was rough. So, they get... So, she's, you know... Call, emailing the cops makes no sense yeah. killer is like flailing and then he disappears and she's like oh my god is he gone five seconds later Billy pops in through the window now the space of time it's it's not enough because we never get a real cut so it's, it's not enough to be like oh Billy was the killer it's just oh well he, he was probably coming in or outside or whatever and then she, But it's, what are the odds? Yeah, what are the odds? Cindy's like, what the hell's going on? Oh my god, I'm so glad you're here. And then he drops his cell phone. And now, in 2020...
1: It wouldn't be that odd, you know? Your cell phone falls out of your pocket. But in the 90s, when cell phones were expensive and only adults really used them...
0: And also, cell phones back then were also kinda shitty.
1: Yeah.
0: You, you... This was 96. Like, most people... You only had a cell phone if... One, you had money right. and you needed it for work. Kids, teenagers, you didn't, they didn't really have cell phones.
1: No, they were still on the pagers.
0: Yeah, like, the, yeah, the only reason a kid would have a cell phone really is that they, like, traveled, I would think. Like, if you, like, if you're, like, oh, I'm going to Spain or whatever for, like, you know, a semester abroad, if you're, like, in college you might get a cell phone so your parents could contact you. Yeah. That's probably... But even then, you would have to go havesies with it with somebody. Right. So, but again, but, I digress.
1: But also, if this phone, you know, was a Nokia that he dropped, It would have gone through the floor. Well, it would have gone through the floor, but it would probably still be charged till this day.
0: Oh, man. Old school Nokia phones would have have actually taken a bullet and saved a man's life. Old school Nokia phones were... Oh, superb! I'm so mad I lost mine.
1: And would have maintained, you know, a 99% charge even after taking said
0: bullet. I, it actually, it actually still received phone calls. That yep. you can actually look this up. A guy, I believe he was getting mugged, and this is a couple years back, a long time back actually, he had a Nokia phone for God's yeah. sakes. The mugger shoots him, probably like I don't know, a foot or two away, and it goes in and it hits the guy's phone and it stops the bullet. And I think it was a 38 round or whatever. It wasn't crazy, but it was a bullet. Yeah. Stops the bullet. The guy, you know, falls over. He's like, oh my god. Wait, I'm not bleeding. Pulls the phone out, and his he uses it to call 911. God the same phone. You.
1: God bless you old Nokia phones.
0: I know. What happened to those days? But as we go on. As, as the times, they are changing, so do we as the plot goes on. So after this, we have the whole thing of, did Billy do it? Is Billy involved? Okay, he's probably not involved, because now he's in jail, and then we... We
1: transition to the jail or or the police station, and you know we get to see Woodsboro's you know police station. We get to see Dewey Riley.
0: Woodboro's finest.
1: Yep, we get to see the captain of you know or the chief of police who really doesn't do anything in this movie.
0: Well, I, I that's a thing. That's another thing with horror movies. Usually, if you have adults that are involved in the plot, they are either a ineffectual or be against the main characters from the go because they think they're making it up. Yes. You see it in Black Christmas. So, uh, yeah, you see it in Black Christmas. You see it in Friday the 13th. You see it in... Actually, you see it in, like, every Friday the 13th movie.
1: I mean, you see it in Jaws, too. Oh,
0: yeah, you even see it in Jaws. Well, granted, um, Brody, he's he's a police officer, he but is, like, the, 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 mayor. the mayor's an asshole about it. Yeah, you see it a lot in these horror movies. And they're at the police station. Sydney's giving her statement. Tatum's there to give her su- support. Billy, he's being questioned. He's gonna spend the night in jail because uh, they don't know what's going on. Sydney goes outside. Gail confronts her, says, what the hell's going on? Uh, what do you say about your mother's killer? And what do you and think about this? And Sidney drops her. Him, just yeah. throws a clean right hook. Bitch goes down, which Tatum repeats in the scene after this, where they're at home. They're talking. They're mingling it's like man gail comes up bitch left hook bitch goes down sydney super bitch and
1: <laughs> you know friendship
0: friendship you and gotta
1: build up that friend
0: exactly and then sydney's there she's like i don't know what's gonna go on billy's in jail i'm free oh i don't know who this guy is what if it's billy i'm so scared then and we then get the phone we
1: call. get the phone call
0: and it's the voice again the scary voice that calls that's kind of how the voice goes. I don't know. So, gets the phone call. She's like, oh, God, what's going on? Ah, oh, she screams. The voice hangs up. Then Dewey comes in right after the phone hangs up. It's like, what's and going Boxer
1: with his service pistol.
0: Which is, <laughs> what is he expecting? He's like, hey, somebody's on the, hey, it's the killer. He's on the phone. Walks out with his gun. And he, I'm just like, is he going to shoot the phone? I think he's going to shoot the phone. He might. He might. He just seems like that kind of cop. Shoot first, ask question later. This is... Dewey wanted to be a police officer because he watched Dirty Harry films. That's why.
1: Maybe the phone was feeling lucky.
0: He was feeling lucky, punk. So, there, there, and the scene after this, I think this is where we finally get into kind of that middle part of the film where it's just meant to build tension and give you a couple of scares. So we're gonna we're gonna gloss over a lot of it after this because I think we finally got past the first act and all the character and all that mystery stuff.
1: Yeah, you we're know, try and move through. we go back to the school one more time, and, you know, we have students that are now dressing up in the costume that the killer wears, and they're running throughout the school, and it's causing Sydney some serious PTSD, and that's when we're introduced to Henry Winkler as the principal of the school, mm-hmm. and it's kind of hard to see Henry Winkler be a, you know, this pain-in-the-ass principal that's, you know...
0: It's weird when the Fonz is the adult yeah. in the room, right?
1: He's going to be cool, you know, kick a jukebox, not, you know, reprimand students.
0: Yeah, which he does. And this, honestly, he would not be a principal in 2020. Because the moment, because he would bring some kids in. This is basically his only scene where he gets to do stuff. And he's there and he's like, you guys are disrespecting the dead. What's wrong with you? And he's cutting up these kids, like Halloween masks where it's the killer's face. Mm -hmm. He's cutting up with a pair of like these giant scissors like these things are comically large
1: well i mean i think these things were like to cut a ribbon but i mean who knows what ribbon he was cutting how right. long he's had these scissors
0: and he's talking and he's yelling at these kids and he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna suspend you both or expel you both you guys are yeah, are done and they're like that's unfair and he goes and he slaps one of the kids with the scissors like not across the face but he puts it against his chest. chest and he's like how would you feel if i gut you like what the hell's wrong with you you ungrateful kids and I'm like, bro, bro, if that was 2020, you would have been fired, that you would have probably gone to jail, that kid would have said you touched his peepee, and you would have absolutely been in prison for life.
1: And I mean, he should have just, you know, channeled his inner fawns and just told him to sit on it.
0: Right? So, bless you. Oh, thank you. you know, yeah, we don't need a pause, you're fine. Oh. Sorry about that, it's a little dusty in the studio today. Whew. Now, as they're talking... There, and it goes on, Sydney gets, um, has a scene with Billy. Billy's like, don't worry, Sid, I don't blame you, it's okay. Then Sydney's like, oh, whatever, leave me alone. She goes into the bathroom to try and calm down.
1: Well, I mean, it's easy, even also how, you know, that that part, you know, begins where they run into each other. It's just another jump scare because he's coming up the stairs and she's coming up the hallway and she's already spooked from these kids running around in the costume. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of, you know... Gives you kind of that killer vibe, you know, he's just there all of a sudden, just, you know, has hands on her, and it's just me. Yeah. But but you still kind of get that vibe off of him, like, you know. He's
0: always creepy. Yeah. So, he's there. They're talking. Sydney says, I don't want to deal with you. Goes to the bathroom. She overhears some people talking about the whole thing. They leave, he's just distraught. She tries to compose herself, and that's when we get the attack by... Some random asshole in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't look... He's not carrying a knife. He's not trying to kill her or do anything like that. its It feels more like it's just some kid in a costume trying to scare whichever girl ended up being alone in the bathroom.
1: And it just happened to be her.
0: It happened to be her. Where, terrible coincidence, but you know, it's a horror movie. Coincidences happen. And then after that, they let out the school because they're like, we're done with this curfew. And Stu's parents happen... Because this is a horror movie, and as we were saying, coincidences happen, are out of town for the uh, the weekend on a business, or out of town for like a week on a business trip, vacation, second honeymoon.
1: Something, I mean, you know, of course, there has to be, you know, vacationing parents in a horror movie, so you know, you get the house to yourself.
0: Yeah, in, insert generic reason parents are not in town. Mm-hmm. That's why they're so they go, and Stu's going to throw this big raging party at his house, which is in the middle of nowhere.
1: And, that, and it's also a McMansion.
0: I, I have a th- I have a thing I need to know, because you've seen this movie a bunch more times than I have, mm-hmm. which is saying something, because I'm OCD about watching movies. So where is Woodsboro?
1: Woodsboro is supposed to take place in California, but they don't really give a specific, you know, kind of location, but kind of based on the way the houses look and... How lush it is! It, it would appear, it would appear that it's in Northern California, maybe near like where some of the wineries and the vineyards are. Like Martha's
0: Vineyard, or like up around. Well, Martha's
1: vineyard's, there. vineyard's on the East Coast, but you oh, know. Oh, is it? Oh
0: yeah. I I'm learning something new every day.
1: But it would be. Um, oh my God! Where's my
0: cousin from? Uh, <laughs> where's your cousin from? Like what? Like Sacramento or I mean, San Bernardino or um, Batman or he's from Gotham. We're gonna. We're working on it. Now it's going to bug her, everybody. Don't worry. We're This ain't getting cut, so she thinks it is.
1: Oh, it's getting cut.
0: It ain't getting cut. Now, but, like, I get the point. There's somewhere in, like, NorCal or something like that. I always thought it was some random... Napa. Napa. So, okay. They, they look like they're from Napa Valley.
1: Yeah, I mean, just based on some of these houses, you know, it would give off that vibe of kind of like a Napa area, but in reality, it is Santa Rosa, California. So it is in Northern California.
0: It, 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 it's so weird because it so woodsboro just looks like that because that's the thing with horror movies again slash movies in particular is every city so or every town is supposed to look like every town usa yeah more or less and this also has that feel where it looks like okay this is just every town usa it's just when you see the houses people live in because sydney has no neighbors they live out in like the middle of nowhere yeah you see Stu's house and he lives In the actual middle of nowhere. It looks like miles from anybody.
1: Which is terrifying. And which works for the final scene of the movie.
0: Yeah, and then... But then you see the town center, and it's like... Okay, this looks more like a regular town, and this high school. It's every town USA, and the main street looks like every town USA. Yeah. And as the movie goes on, the high school... It looks like every high school you've ever gone to.
1: Even though, you know, fun fact, it's not actually a high school. It's a community center.
0: Yeah, it... It's, it's really weird because, again, set dressing and product design and all that stuff, it's very good. Yeah. But, yeah, that that's the point. And I think that's when we get to Stu's house, we really get the idea that, okay, this is a movie. Because I don't know what Stu's parents do because that house is way, way too nice for them to just be like working in a shop or something because it is like
1: it's a beautiful house
0: it's like it's three stories got a big ass garage they got a boat in the front there's no neighbors for miles it's a huge you, property of land you
1: know that that's acres and acres of land that belong to them
0: yeah and Stu's having this this raging party because Hashtag you know, every party in in a horror movie
1: of course and it's because you know the city's gonna have a curfew because you know there's more murders and these murders are still on the loose so you know we're gonna call it early for the night and keep everybody safe while all the teenagers are gonna go over sue's house for a party yeah
0: and the party ensues randy brings a bunch of movie or vhs's of horror movies and stuff like that and they're gonna watch horror movies and drink and do what you do yeah and as the party goes on gail shows up and dewey's there with her Dewey's there to check on the party to make sure, you know, nothing goes wrong. And he's going to let the party go on because, you know, kids need to unwind. And And he
1: also, you know, didn't just graduate, you know, like five years prior to this class. Yeah. So, of course, he's got to, you know, pretend like he's the cool guy. Yeah, yeah, you know, you go on and party. It's all right. I'm going to hang out.
0: And Gail's there and she's there to get a scoop with her cameraman, Randy. And set
1: up a secret, you know, camera to you know, kind of monitor and see if the killer shows up or if someone talks about the killer.
0: Yeah, she's you know she's a, a bloodsucker like that. So it sets up the camera. It's a thirty-second delay. That is the state in the movie, which comes a plot point later. Yeah. But party goes on. Randy states the rules of the of horror movies, which Miss Boo, I think it's your turn to finally give us some quotes from this movie because I know you wrote them down.
1: I'm sure I have got my quotes here somewhere, but you know, there's the the three rules. You know don't do drugs or drink
0: it's the sin factor the sin
1: the three deadly sins you don't do drugs or drink you don't have sex during these movies because only virgins survive and ultimately you never say i'll be right back
0: oh do you want something to drink
1: yeah sure i'll take something
0: i'll be right back oh my
1: god and that's how we lost dean
0: and that's how we lost him and i think that's the quote that solidified Jamie Kennedy as being, you are the only person who could have played this character.
1: Apart from his, you know, blow up at the the video store with everybody's a suspect.
0: Everybody's a suspect. That, it's so good because Jamie Kennedy is by far the actor who will be forever known for this movie. Yeah. Forever and ever. Because his, his career could evolve and change and do whatever after this. It kind of, sort of did. Yeah. But this, this is the movie he will... That is gonna be on his tombstone. He was Randy from Scream and everybody will know him. So party goes on, there gets a phone call from I don't know who, probably the killer. Yeah. That informs the party, hey, hey, guys, guys. The uh the principal, he's dead and they're he's hanging from the goalposts. You guys wanna mm-hmm. you guys wanna go check this out? Wanna see a dead body? And obviously these high school kids are like, Oh, fuck yeah, let's go. Yeah, and good, the good, whole party clears out.
1: Yeah, a good majority of them rush to the high school, you know, another majority of them go home because it is getting towards, you know, curfew time. And we're just left with, you know, the main cast.
0: Yeah. Gail and Dewey, they go out into the the woods because they're looking for an abandoned car that the sheriff told them about. Mm -hmm. And it looks like, oh, it's Sidney's father's car. And that gives the thing to those in the audience who were actually thinking who could the killer be and didn't catch Stu and billy in the first 20 minutes Mm -hmm. um is like oh maybe it's the father his car's still there they think Mm -hmm. he's a suspect it's the anniversary of his wife's death oh this is gonna be good but they're out there wandering the woods and then and they discover the car and it's like it is sydney's father's car we got to get back to the house things are in trouble yeah and that's you know billy and sydney they hook up at the party.
1: Which is breaking one of the cardinal rules. Oh,
0: yeah. Billy goes in on her. You know, he, she's getting every inch of uh, Skeech Ulrich. And Stu's there. He disappears from the party for a while. Tatum is going to get drinks. And this is where we have Tatum's uh, final scene. Well, where you can tell that set was very cold. And she was not wearing a bra.
1: Yeah. But also, Tatum's demise happens during the party. Which is even more disturbing that...
0: No No one one noticed anything. No one noticed. And yeah, because I mean, I'm kind of glossing through the party because it's a it's a party scene Mm -hmm. and this is and this happens probably a couple minutes before they everybody clears out. Yeah. Which also brings home another fact of what's wrong with these people that they didn't notice this. Tatum goes into the into the garage to get beer, which as you do.
1: And it's because Stu asks her, can you go into the garage and get some more beers? Which is setting her up to...
0: Get got by Billy. Pretty much. So, she goes out there, gets the beers. The killer confronts her. She freaks out. She actually fights him off, knocks him down, and throws some beer bottles at him. And he's he's down for a second. And then her dumbass tries to crawl out of the doggy door in the garage. Yeah. Which, like, first of all, she could have probably easily have gotten through. Because Rose McGowan is not that oh, big of a lady. She's a twig. Yeah, she could have slipped through. But then the killer also has this thing where he turns on the garage door, which lifts her up because mm-hmm. she's stuck in the garage, in, in the doggy door. And this this motor, everybody, buy American, because whatever that motor is, it, it lifts her up no problem with enough force to crush her skull.
1: How does she, I think how it she bra- supposed I think to it, die? I think it breaks her neck. Is that what it is? Because it's a roll top door, so it just rolls and, you know, the doggy door's part of the door, so it's just and rolling it like, with it. And, and it, like,
0: catches her head, and it's really yeah. weird how she's, quote-unquote, dying, mm-hmm. but she is dead. We get that much. Yeah. And then everybody clears out of the house, and that brings home a, a thing where it's, how the hell did no, none of the kids see this? Because I know it's supposed to be on the side of the house or the back of the house or whatever. Yeah,
1: so they're all heading off in the opposite direction.
0: You could probably see that from the street.
1: Or you would or, have heard, you know, the beer bottles breaking and hitting the floor as, you know, she's fighting off ghosts. Or the face. garage door opening. Yeah. or,
0: Or even the fact of, oh, I just parked my car on the far side of the house. Mm-hmm. Somebody, yeah, it's really weird. Once the killers reveal themselves and their motives and their plans, we'll get into why their plan is ridiculous. So, as it goes on, Sydney and Billy, they finish doing their due. They do. And Randy is getting pissed drunk on the couch, watching horror movies. Watching
1: Halloween, specifically.
0: Great, great pick, by the way. Gail and Dewey are just getting back to the house, and Stu's nowhere to be seen. Now, Billy tells Sydney, Hey, I swear it wasn't me, I'm here for you. And Sydney's like, well, what did you use your last phone call for? Then there's the whole mysterious, like, oh man, he could be it. And then the killer shows up, and... Billy's like, oh no! And the killer's like, ha da, ha da! And like, stabs him. We don't see the impact of the stab wounds. We just. Yeah,
1: he just turns his back to Sydney, so.
0: And when he turns himself back around, he's just <laughs> covered in blood. Yeah. And then he falls over. Sydney freaks out, runs around the house, and we get the whole chase. And this is where all the. This is the climax of the movie. This is where shit gets real, real. Cindy's being chased. Doors
1: are being thrown. Surfboards are being thrown. I mean, you know, the kitchen sink is ready to get thrown. There's just so much going on throughout this chase. Yeah. And how does Randy not hear it?
0: He is pissed drunk at this point. He is five sheets to the wind. That's a, that's another thing where I think, because he's watching, I'm assuming he's watching Halloween like full blast, and Probably. he's just drunk off his ass. He's pretty toasted he's watching the movie and he's trying to focus on the movie so he's probably hearing what's going on and it's just assuming
1: the screams are coming from the, the movie the screams are
0: coming either from the movie or okay maybe some people are fucking around upstairs or they're just doing a part like party shit yeah because i don't think randy really knows how many people left he probably assumes there are still people in the house and cindy gets outside the killer's chasing her
1: she falls off the roof and lands onto the boat
0: and then she sees tatum's dead ass body just
1: hanging from the garage
0: she's running i think this is when he yeah she goes to gail's um van like the production truck where the cameraman is and she's like please you gotta help me and he's like oh god like what's going on and he checks the footage and that's when you see the killer about to kill um randy and he's like, oh shit, I gotta go help him. Mm-hmm. And then he turns, and he sees the front doors open, turns back, he sees the killer left Randy alone. Is um, like, oh wow, 30 second delay, just mm-hmm. like they put it up before. And as soon as he turns back around, that's when he gets got. The killer slices, slices his throat. throat. He falls over, he's basically dead, and so he keeps running, gets into Dewey's unlocked cop car.
1: Oh uh, yeah, you know.
0: I mean, really? You You would... You would just leave your your police your sheriff's vehicle unattended. Well, I mean,
1: it's Woods- keys inside. I mean, it's Woodsboro. It's supposed to be this you know kind of sleepy town. You know, the, who the who would pod- think of getting into a cop car?
0: A hashtag Podunk America. Yeah. Dot America, and she's hiding inside. The killer is like, hey, you can't go anywhere because I already stole the keys.
1: This is after we have a, a few minutes of playing. You know, which door am I going to lock next? Until he kind of you know taps on the window with his blade and got the keys.
0: Playing a little cat and mouse game. Mm -hmm. Killer eventually disappears. Under the car. Under the car, and then I believe do we get, does Gail and Dewey finally come back at this point?
1: Yeah. Gail comes back, she gets into the van, and this is after you know, she steps into the the cameraman's blood.
0: Yeah, so they get back, Dewey's like, oh my god, something's going wrong, and he runs into the house. Yeah,
1: they both split up.
0: They both split up. Dewey runs into the house, Gail gets over to the truck, Mm -hmm. and she's or over to the production van
1: to the production van but i mean that's never a good idea splitting up
0: yeah which another horror movie thing mm-hmm. so she is getting into the into the production van she's getting ready to like go and then randy because this is a fucking horror movie greets everybody in a jump scare and he's like hey what's going on and Gail slaps the shit out of him with a brick of a of a phone
1: yeah, it's a cell phone.
0: Yeah, a brick of a cell phone, and knocks him unconscious.
1: I mean, I just want to know how she borrowed uh, Zach Morris's phone from Saved by the Bell, and then beat the crap out of Randy with I, said phone.
0: Oh, is that is that the weird universe? Is she? Um, oh God, what was that that girl's name in Saved by the Bell? Zach's like almost girlfriend.
1: Oh, um, Kelly.
0: Yeah that that's the that's the universe isn't kelly grows up changes her name to gail to gail weathers because that's obviously a fake stage name she moves to like wood she moves to california because she wants to be well
1: saved by the bell is in california so she just moves up north she moves up
0: north to become like this famous uh news reporter but she can only get tabloid work so she changes her name to gail weathers and guys guys that's the universe zach (laughs) Morris. so she steals zach morris's cell phone as like a parting gift from the Saved by the Bell people, and then she goes becomes Gail Weathers and Scream. Kelly is Gail. Guys, get on this. Get on this theory. All right, so. let me
1: bring Dean back to reality because he's ready to spin. Yeah, I-, I feel it.
0: I love you. Now they're going. Randy is incapacitated. Gail turns on the car, sees the blood on the windshield. She's like, "Oh my god, what's happening?" She
1: hits she- the the wipers and she starts to go, and you know the poor cameraman just his body starts to slide down the the window.
0: Yeah, which, mm. weird, but yeah, yeah, the cameraman flops over the top, and she freaks out, and she d- d- swerves her car off the road and smashes into a tree.
1: Well, she smashes into a tree because Sydney, out of nowhere, just jumps into the middle of the street, you know, waving her arms and screaming for help, and yeah. Gail, you know, kind of freaks out and hits the gas and jerks the car to the side so she doesn't run over Sydney and ends up, you know, crashing into a tree, and then Sydney just kind of has this look like, you know, just my kind of night.
0: Yeah, and then she I think here is, she's running back to the house and mm-hmm. that's when she sees Dewey collapse on the porch cuz yeah. he has a knife in his back. Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Oh god, everything's terrible." And then that's when Randy and Stu come behind her. Running up behind her and be like, "Hey, help." Randy's like, "Help, Stu's gone insane. He's fucking crazy. He's killing everybody." And Stu's like, "No, Cindy, please. You got to give me the gun. This guy's fucking insane. He's gonna kill us all cuz Cindy took Dewey's gun and mm-hmm. is trying to protect herself. And Cindy does the smartest thing she's done in this entire movie, and slams the door in both these motherfucker's yep. faces, and is like locks the door. And can't I trust assume, nobody. Can't trust nobody. And I'm assuming in her head she's like, okay, first person opening up that door is getting a nine millimeter in the chest. Yeah. And then that's when Billy comes falling down the stairs, where he's like, help, Sid. Oh, I survived the stab wounds. I don't worry. I I got this. I can I can protect you. It's very Shakespearean
1: the way he you know rolls down the Sid, please, it's me.
0: It's me. <laughs> you love me. He gets the gun from Sidney and he's like, "Don't worry, I got this." He opens up the door. Randy comes in and Randy's like, "Help, Sidney! You gotta like, Stu. He's the killer. He's gone mad." And then
1: we get this turn. We see Billy. You know, go from I'm in excruciating pain to
0: sadistically.
1: And he, you know, gives the famous psycho line. We all go to a Little mad sometimes.
0: And he shoots Randy um, in the shoulder, chest, or what mm. have you. Shoots him and he goes down. And Cindy's like, oh my god, what's happening? And then he's just, he's like, haha. The blood, it is nothing more than corn syrup and food coloring. Just like the blood in Carrie. And then she's try, gonna run away and she runs into Stu. And she's like, Stu, please help me. And Stu's like, Haha, I'm also in on it too surprise, Sydney. He says with the voice changer. And then we get the reveal of the killers. It's Billy and Stu, and they give their motives and the reasoning and they pull out Sydney's dad who they're going to frame for the killings and let's just let's just break this down a little bit. So, I know we break this down a lot, but let's Here's the motive that they're going with. Billy's mom left his dad. father because he was sleeping around with Sydney's mom, right? And he's like, your mom caused my parents to split up. That's why we killed your mom. Yeah. And is like, oh my God, you're a fucking monster. And he's like, and now, because it's a year afterwards, I'm going to kill you to get more revenge on your whole family for breaking my family apart.
1: And we're going to do this on the anniversary of your mother's death.
0: To frame your father, who Mm -hmm. they pull out of a broom closet.
1: Or the cellar. I think there's a staircase down there. I I
0: don't know. At
1: Stu's house, who knows what they have.
0: Yeah, and Stu is like, oh, I'm just in it for the pure pressure and the glory and the and the whatever. I'm just in it because Billy asked me to do it and I'm already kind of freaky.
1: Which, I mean, I think that's more scarier than Billy's revenge because Stu's just kind of like, oh, he just asked me to do it. So, yeah, I'll go around being a killer with you.
0: Yeah, Stu is like the actual, the actual psychopath. Mm-hmm. And Billy's like, because Billy's just like sadistic. Mm-hmm. Right? He's, like, yeah. he has revenge and he's sadistic, but he has a plan and a, and a motive.
1: And he also Stooges... has a, a, few, a few screws loose. Yeah,
0: and just seems like he's just down. He's yeah. just like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm down. Mm-hmm. He could ask, if it, it was either this or snowboarding this summer, so I, I went with this. But, yeah. Yeah. So, and then their plan, as they point out, is, so what we're gonna do is we're going to kill you, kill your dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to injure each other, so we're going to stab each other and say, "Oh, he went on a massacre. We survived, mm-hmm. and your dad, well, did all these people killed you in a murder suicide thing?" But here's the issue: first of all, they they stab each other before they kill any before they kill mm-hmm. Sydney or her dad. So they're already in the we're in the home field stretch. So we're gonna fucking punt this one. So Or
1: trip right before you get to the finish line. Trip
0: right before you get to the fucking 10-yard line, basically.
1: I Me, mean, you never celebrate right before you get to the finish line. I think we've seen enough fail videos. You just don't do it.
0: Exactly. So first, they give the knight to... First, Billy gives the... Yeah. No, Billy stabs Stu first, right? Yeah. Yeah, so they're just like, okay, so I'm gonna stab you. And Billy stabs Stu, and he's like, ow, that fucking hurt. And I'm like, yeah, of course it hurts, you asshole. Getting stabbed hurts. And then Billy gives the knife to Stu, and Stu's gonna stab Billy, and Stu just goes in on Billy, and Billy's like, ow, that fucking hurt, and I'm just like, fucking no shit, you guys are fucking stupid. And
1: it it, it turns into this back and forth thing of, you know, who could stab who the hardest, and it's like, who could have, you know, foreseen this, you know?
0: It's like the thing where, you know, you're a kid or whatever, where you punch your buddy on the arm being like, hey, you know, got you, and then they're just like... Oh, and they punch you back, and they're like, hey, dude, that's way harder than I punch you. I was like, no, it's not. And then you punch them harder, and then you just keep punching each other back and forth.
1: Eventually, it turns into a fight, and it gets out of control, kind of like this scene.
0: This is literally, yeah, it's literally that scene. And they're going back and forth, and then Billy is, or Stu's finally like, dude, fucking stop. I'm dying here. I'm getting woozy. Mm -hmm. And Billy's like, all right, fine, go grab the gun, we'll take care of this, and just we'll be fucking done. Then they but Stu goes to grab the gun, and the gun is gone because Gail, looking worse for wear, has appeared. And Billy's like, I thought she was dead. And Stu's like, dude, I fucking she looked it. And Gail's like, I'm gonna kill you both. And haha, this I is how am I'm gonna saved.
1: finish the story.
0: And But Gail doesn't turn the safety off, so she gets incapacitated, gets knocked unconscious, lands on Dewey, and Then they're about to kill Gail, but that's when they realize, oh shit, we left Sydney unattended and she's Mm -hmm. disappeared. Yeah. And so has her father. Uh, Okay, that's another point. Yeah. We gotta get back to this. Her father has been disappeared for what?
1: A couple of days.
0: Three, four days, maybe? So they've had her father tied up in, we'll say Stu's basement or Mm -hmm. garage or whatever, tied up in his house. For a couple of days, so they had to, like, feed him. They had to let him use the bathroom or some shit like that. I mean,
1: he's still in the same clothes that we see him in at the beginning of the movie. So, I mean, I would hope at some point, you know, maybe give him food. Maybe let him go to the bathroom.
0: Because the cops are going to ask questions when they're like, Man, this guy looks like he's been tied... He's been bound and gagged for a couple of days, and he smells of piss and shit. Yeah, Yeah. I think there's going to be some issue there. Yeah. And then the whole other point of... Throughout the film, you realize that these guys are terrible serial killers. Just abysmal. Because they have... So, this is how we've kind of assumed they've been operating. One of them makes the phone call and distracts the, the victim... While the other one goes in and does the deed. Now, we're not sure who does what... But I assume that in the first kill... Stu is probably on the phone because the kill's very, um, quick and very just to the point because that seems like a Billy thing to do, whereas Stu seems more, like, ridiculous. He's the one who, I think Stu probably killed, hmm, he probably killed the principal, whereas and then Billy killed Tatum. It's one of those things they probably go back and forth.
1: And I'm under the impression that it was Stu that makes the first kill. Because Billy's kind of into, you know, the, the horror genre, the quotes, the trivia. He, and, yeah, and that's how we start out the movie with, you know, uh, Casey Becker being, you know, given this trivia quiz, you know, to save her life and her boyfriend's life. And in the beginning of the movie, we also figure out that Stu and Casey at one point had dated mm-hmm. as she dumped Stu for her current boyfriend and, you know, boyfriend that was murdered along with her. So it would make sense, you know. It would be
0: a revenge kill. I yeah. I got that. But I think it's just one of those things where it's like, we're never, it's never 100% sure who mm-hmm. is who. And it's honestly, it's neither of them. It's a stuntman. And mm-hmm. under the, under the cape and cowl. But I have, you, you had to get the thing where one of them is probably a lookout who's on the phone with the victim what and the other one's doing the deed. And, I mean, and, you
1: have to give it to Roger Jackson, who's the voice of Ghostface. Oh, that's an like
0: iconic voice. He
1: does such a great job, you know, just instilling that fear.
0: But, yeah, let's get back to this because their plan is shit. It's yeah. absolute dark garbage. So, what it is, is that one of them is the lookout, one's trying to kill him. Like, I've been repeating, like, four hmm. times. And the issue is they're trying to intimidate Sydney and they're following her around. There's a point in the movie where they're Tatum and Sydney are grocery shopping and somebody, and one of them is in a ghost face costume in a fucking grocery store like following them around and then there's another scene where they're like out on the porch and in the bushes you can see one of them like watching them from the bushes and I'm like, how is nobody seeing these fuckers?
1: I mean, it's not stated that it's Halloween day, you know, I mean at any point you're gonna be kind of weirded out if you see an adult in costume walking around a market you know, that would, it would stand out, you know, especially if there's a killer, and they're yeah. describing this killer, oh, you know, he has, you know, this ghost face and this whole black costume, and, you know, oh, well, I think I just saw the killer at the market.
0: Yeah, and the other thing is, they kill mm-hmm. Drew Barrymore in the beginning, mm-hmm. isolated, out of nowhere, you can mm-hmm. see how it's like, okay, you can get away with that, because it's the middle of fucking nowhere, because every house is, like, miles away from yeah. each other in this universe, and... That, that one, I can give them, okay? If they had any competency and planning skills, they could have gotten that one. Yeah. The principal, when they kill him, I'm like, okay, so you're just gonna bum-rush this principal, who we have established in that scene, that he's not alone in the school. The janitor's down, down the way. Fred, the janitor.
1: Gotta love Fred the janitor, played by Wes Craven, wearing the iconic Freddy sweater and hat.
0: Of course. And he's just... It's one of those things where it's like, okay, now you're just being bold because, Mm -hmm. one, there's probably not a lookout for that one because Stu's probably at his house prepping.
1: For the party, yeah.
0: Yeah, for the party and Billy's, you know, the one who's actually, like, killing Mm -hmm. him and he's doing it alone. And did he just kill the principal and slip out the fucking window? Did he just, did no one see him? Because it's the middle of the day.
1: But, I mean, also, they find him, you know, tied up on the goalpost. That's another thing. So it's like, he's gonna need Stu's help hoisting his dead
0: ass up there or the other thing it's like guys guys you you're hoisting up a dead body on a football field and i don't know where this football field is we never see it i have no idea what it looks like but guys you you could people passing by could probably see what the fuck you're doing yeah the other point is when they kill tatum in the garage you know their their whole plan for not getting caught there my guess is we locked the garage door And I'm like, if Tatum, if Tatum like actually just belted a scream out and like really was like, fucking help me. Yeah. Somebody probably fucking hear it. Yeah. And it's one of those things where I think these, these two are more lucky than good when it comes to their plan of, it comes to their plans and actions of killing people. But again, I digress. I had my mini rants as to why their plan is, doesn't make sense and how them being killers is weird, but Whatever. So, Sydney has now gotten the upper hand on the killers. She has disappeared somewhere in this cavernous ass house. And Billy is on the phone with her being like, where the fuck are you? And Stu is basically succumbing to his wounds.
1: Yeah, he's like, I think I'm dying, man, while he's coughing up blood.
0: Yeah, because Billy went in on Stu. I think Billy was planning to be the only survivor oh, yeah, out of this. Oh, definitely. So, Stu's dying... He gets on the phone with Sydney because Billy chucks the phone at him, yeah. hits him with a phone dick, is <laughs> on the phone with him, and is like, yo, like, please, my parents are gonna be so mad at me, don't blah blah, and Billy's tearing up the fucking house until he finally comes to the closet, where he opens it up, and he thinks he hears somebody in the closet, but really, it's the music, for, or it's the scene from Halloween, where yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis is in the closet, and Michael Myers is after but really, haha! It actually is Sydney in there, and she comes out and she in- jams a
1: an umbrella into his chest.
0: Yeah, which now in the in the scene, um, it kind of makes sense because it looks like she just goes deep in on him with it. But in all honesty, it's a it's an umbrella. If you got pegged with that, it probably hurt for a little bit. But you want to go down like Skeet Ulrich does in this.
1: Well, it's a metal tip on that umbrella too, so with enough pressure.
0: It would hurt, yeah. Yeah, you're
1: you're gonna, you know, break the skin at least.
0: Yeah, but, you know, so he goes down, and then, I guess, does that, like, knock him out or something? Because he does because you don't see him after that. I
1: think it just knocks the wind out of him.
0: Yeah, that's probably what happens. She comes out, and she just jams this in his chest, and she shoulders him, and he goes, he goes down. Knocks the wind out of him.
1: And, I mean, you see the the umbrella sticking out of his chest, so she's actually able to...
0: Jam it in pretty good. Yeah. So, Billy goes down then Stu comes out and attacks Sydney and they go on there back and forth and Sydney manages to get the upper hand and drops a the heaviest television in history on his head because it just immediately kills him
1: well I mean it's the 90s so you know TVs did weigh uh, around 500 pounds yes so it realistically it could have killed him
0: ah uh, yeah I remember those old TVs drops it on his head Stu is dead quote-unquote again I bullshit on that one but it's not as bullshit as Tatum's but well, whatever. Well I mean
1: have you heard you know some of the rumors going around right now?
0: Oh god no. Well, Please tell me they're not actually bringing Matthew Lillard back in Scream like 5.
1: Well Scream 5 is coming in 2022 so are you gonna go see the movie with me?
0: Of course I will.
1: All right awesome but someone asked Matthew Lillard you know hey you know what do you think about you know your character? Did he really die? And he goes well a TV was just dropped on my head. He goes that doesn't mean you know a, a kill I could have you know crawled out from under the TV and I could have ran and survived so it's kind of leaving that door open maybe Stu did survive
0: that'd be that'd be interesting because I've always thought it was weird that he that okay because Billy that, that we'll, we'll just wrap it up yeah. so goes on Stu get Sydney gets the upper hand kills Stu that we think then uh Gail wakes up Randy comes back Um, Sydney has the gun now Billy is like haha I'm not actually dead and Sydney shoots and kills him and he Mm -hmm. dies yeah and we wrap up the movie nice happy ending the cops show up the sun rises it is finally peaceful in Woodsboro once more
1: and Gail has her story
0: and Gail has her story Dewey survived the the attack Mm -hmm. Uh, Randy is now free to go fool around because he survived his horror movie Mm -hmm. and Sydney is no longer plagued by a murderous boyfriend but, yeah, so, I think this, because there is a Scream 5 coming out, mm-hmm. where I think is weird, because... I'm, I'm excited for it. Of course you're excited for it, because you love Scream. I do. But the sequels of Scream, I have found to have diminishing returns. The television series, even, because I, I did watch the first season or two of the MTV television series, and even that was, like, I'm, I'm be real with you, it's pretty okay if you just wanted to watch something but you know it i think the whole thing of satirizing the slasher genre after because after screen came out it kind of ruined the slasher genre in a way it revived it because it showed that you could still make money with smart good slasher Mm -hmm. films and smart good horror films in general but it also bred into this whole meta um ideology of well if we acknowledge we're in a slasher movie by having these types of characters we could play into the tropes and then we'll be called scream because that's what they did what they didn't have was good and relatable good relatable characters a solid mystery and good writing yeah basically good writing granted i know what you did last summer was by the same uh writer but Mm -hmm. I know what you did last summer was written a couple years before Scream was even made. Mm-hmm. And he just couldn't sell it because it was a generally generic slasher film. Yeah. It gets bought up right after Scream gets released, I think a year after, or some change after. And It is not a great film. Not it doesn't compare to Scream at all. There's a reason I know what you did last summer is all more or less forgotten. It has some iconic little bits on there. There's some stuff where if you watch it, you're like mm-hmm that's okay I know that's in a horror movie I know I've seen that a million times before I just never knew which movie that was and then you also have like Urban Legends which came out I think like two years after Scream and a year after Urban Legends or a year after I know what you did last summer and that was straight up a ripoff of Scream and that's another issue that came upon that
1: and then we started to see, like, classics start to come back. We Chucky came back after, you know, yeah, stream. Uh, Chuck- Halloween H2O came back.
0: Yeah, we had Chucky come back. Halloween came back. Um, we had the Freddy versus Jason movie, which came back.
1: I still but, have that VHS.
0: Yikes. Wow. That's, that's, an, that's an, there's an age on that. Oh, on that yeah. movie. And, and we also, and granted, we also even have the revival of, the slasher the slasher genre because we brought back the, the granted it, they came back in remakes yeah texas chainsaw massacre fire 13 that on elm street halloween and it kind of revived it but it was more in the sense that so the slasher movies that were big that came out after scream were generally pretty bad yeah and their sequels were very much worse so they brought those back and it was almost like a return to form in that sense where okay we've had the digression of you know these are the things being acknowledge about slasher movies that are ridiculous but we still love them anyway mm-hmm. and now we're here with okay slasher movies are just this thing that our culture really likes and enjoys because we're crazy and well, we like to be scared we like to be scared yeah but let's slasher movies in general are not scary right can we can we say that slasher movies like i don't think i've ever been horrified at a and like terrified at a um, nightmare on elm street movie or a friday the 13th movie i mean the shining the exorcist are, are scary and like like terrifying but that's because of like the suspense the build and the drama in that sense but like a slasher movie don't get me wrong there's things that are it's like oh that's scary oh that's weird that's spooky but it's I don't think I'm gonna see a eight foot tall zombie walking out of Crystal Lake to chase me down through the woods, or you would hope not. I would hope not. Yeah, and it's it's really it's really weird because they're both more realistic and more unrealistic Mm -hmm. than other horror films in in that and then other horror films because yes, serial killers exist, but your serial killers are not Jason Voorhees. They're like Ted Bundy. Yeah. Which is a whole other, like, can of worms in terms of, like, the mindset and theology of how these things work.
1: And, I mean, it's Scream isn't, like, you know, a scary, scary movie where, you know, you're, you're up all night, you can't sleep. It's more scary on the fact that, you know, these are her friends, her peers, that are killing people that she loves and cares about. And, you know, it's kind of a fear we all live with, you know, hey, is this friend of mine somebody, you know, that I can trust? Or are they going to turn on me? What's going on? You you never know.
0: I don't... I guess. I mean, I think that's an unfounded fear coming from this movie, but I mean, I guess it makes sense. That that was probably where you would get a sense of dread from Mm -hmm. coming from this movie, but I don't know. But let's finally figure out where we think this movie ranks in last, and is it good? Is it worth it? Does it still hold up? Now, I know, Miss Boo, this is your... Favorite horror film, or at least favorite slasher. I know that much.
1: Yeah, favorite favorite scary movie.
0: Okay, where do you, do you so? Where do you think this lasts? Does it hold up today in twenty twenty? Do you think this movie still holds up?
1: I think it does. I mean, you know, we have the technology that obviously ages it, but it still holds up. You know, it's you know this this story about this girl trying to, you know, get over her her mother's death and kind of just, like, crawl her way back to some sort of normalcy. And, you know, it's it's got, you know, her relationship in it, it's got her relationship with her friends in it, and these gruesome murder, murders that take place during, you know, this story. So, yeah, it still holds up. I think people, you know, who have never seen it before could still sit down, watch it, be entertained despite, you know, the time, the era that this movie's taking place.
0: I got you. I, I'm, I think I might just be a little bit more cynical about it, because I think the movie itself is good, but I think the movies that it influenced and came after it, weigh it down. Like, I think its legacy is tainted in that fact. Mm. Where, like, you think it about it, Scream is, well, Scream, this film by itself is a, I think a solid slasher film. I like, it's. It's good. Is it transcendent? Does it change and revolutionize and make you reimagine cinema itself? No. But does it, does it change how you look at slasher movies, that subgenre? Yeah, yeah, it kind of does.
1: I but mean, the you... issue for
0: me is everything that came after it, that it influenced and changed... Because it, it changed the game for slasher films, and everything that came after it is just... it One, it's never as good as Scream, and Scream was only a fairly good film. And... All the things that it influenced never even lived up to being fairly good.
1: No, but it did also change society because, you know, it made people a little bit more aware of, you know, who are these people that are, you know, calling me, you know, you always get, you know... That
0: that is a fun fact. This film did influence the uh, caller ID and being a mass thing in the United States.
1: Oh, yeah, you know, after this movie, you know, significantly it went up, you know, the amount of people using their caller ID because, you know, who wants to get on the phone with... A crazy person. Uh, yeah.
0: But yeah, that's actually, that is interesting. So I, if, if I had to say, I would say absolutely watch the film, but grain of salt, because this movie is definitely of its time. It's definitely of its time, and I think if you are even mildly into slasher films now, or horror films in general, you're going to be like, this seems so oddly generic because it, it leads into all the generic tropes of horror films and tries to subvert them or at least comments upon them but I think it's still worth the watch. I think you will still find it very enjoyable. I think it's still a good movie. Mm-hmm. Not great, not transcendent, but a very good film. So yeah.
1: For me it would be a 10 out of a 10. You know. Yeah, I'm be- a fan of the Scream, you know, franchise and every time I'll pick it.
0: Yeah, i give it a, I give it a 7 out of 10 if I had to gun to my head. But that's besides the point. So, Miss Boo, anything you want to let us know about for next week and anything you want the people to know about you?
1: Well, next week we are doing a Dean's Art House pick, which will be...
0: Oh, next week we're going to have a wonderful pick. We're going to have the... I guess if Scream is a satire of slasher films then i'm gonna pick the magnum opus of satires of slasher films behind the mask the rise of leslie vernon i believe it is a mockumentary coming out in 2006. oh yeah you can just say it 2006. Yeah, 2006 yeah 2006 which pretty unknown film very i i wouldn't say like Hard to find. You can find it on Shudder currently, which you are know, more it, than happy to look at. It is. We're not partnered with them at all, so that was just a freebie for you.
1: But we do love Shudder.
0: And you can have a look at it. It's very fun. I, I like it, but we're going to get a little bit more in-depth as to why next week on The Film Club. But if you want to catch up with us and see what we're doing, where could you find us, Miss Boo?
1: You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Film Club Podcast, and if you... Like the channel, like our, uh, our podcast. Give us a follow on Anchor FM and Spotify.
0: All right, everybody. I think that wraps us up for this week.
1: We'll see you next week at the Film Club.
0: Stay scared.